0: Welcome to the Optimum Strategic Communications podcast. My name is Richard Staines. I am here with Jeremy Skillington, who's CEO of Pullbeck Pharma. He's here to talk to us about the company's latest research into infectious diseases. How are you, Jeremy? Very well today, Richard. Great. Thanks very much. So the first question to sort of lead us into our discussion today is, are we at risk from another pandemic? And what have we learned from covid
1: yeah, that's a that's a big question. How long do we have? Because <laughs> uh, there are concerns, as you know, back in late 2019, 2020 was COVID was emerging. I think there was a lot of uh, you know concern, a lot of panic. I think initially, the concern with this particular virus, this particular coronavirus, was the ease of spreading. The fact that you were infectious before you had any symptoms, I think, was a, a key driver to the spread of the disease. Normally, as you know, when people have their you know colds or flus and they feel a symptom they stay indoors but with uh, COVID-19 I think it was uh, people were spreading the virus without knowing they actually had the virus so you know are we at risk of another I think viruses they're always mutating I think uh, you know they're they're always on a drive to survive insofar as uh, you know getting themselves into hosts and then spreading from there you know it's all you know evolutionary driven uh, so to speak And I think that uh, there is a concern. I think uh, we particularly have an interest in influenza. And I think there's a concern that uh, right now there's a lot of concern around avian influenza and the potential then for that jumping into humans. There's, There's always that kind of risk where... These viruses mutate and go from an animal incubation into humans and then it kind of spreads. And as we know, uh, you know, influenza in particular can be quite serious to the vulnerable. You know, those who are young, very old, immunocompromised. So there is a concern and obviously, you know, from a pool bag standpoint, we're working on a program to block or stop severe influenza. That's kind of key to our interest. But there is concerns. I mean, there's many factors at play. I mentioned the, the mutagenicity or but it's a case of there's also concerns around, you know, we as a species, as a human species, we're encroaching on animal habitats and we talked about, you know, jumping from animal species into humans. So there's always that concern that we're going to become more and more exposed to these, uh, I won't say latent viruses, but viruses that, uh, you know, were, you know, happy in their own environment. But as we're encroaching, then they have, and they jump over species to humans. So there is concerns. And I think we have learned a lot from COVID-19, certainly in the identification, if you think about normally, you know, vaccines can take many, many years to develop uh, with uh, COVID-19. I think from when we got the sequence to the virus, Having a, a vaccine you know through clinical trials was a remarkable ten months. you know as a human species, we can move mountains when when we have to when we need to. So I think there's a lot of work going on in pandemic preparedness right now. And uh, they don't want, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic happening again. From a you know healthcare standpoint, from a you know global economy standpoint. And again, at Pool bag, you know we're we're building, as I mentioned, forward uh, a program around severe influenza that has uh, you know pandemic uh, preparation potential. And uh, you know obviously we're very aware and keen to to be better prepared the next time. And I think that uh, we've learned a lot from the pandemic. But yes, it's it's not a case of if there's another pandemic; it's a question of when. And we just need to be better prepared when uh, when that happens.
0: I mean, I think it's quite an interesting point you made about why COVID was so um, kind of destructive it was this, it was kind of the perfect virus. I mean, na- nature found a way, didn't it? Because in, in a sense, because people were spreading it without knowing it, and you know, there's mass transit these days, however it had evolved, nature had found a way to exploit our weaknesses. So I suppose that leads us to the next question, which is about AI and whether we can sort of use the power of AI to sort of second guess what's going to happen next and how is it changing this landscape for drugs research is, is what I'm
1: kind of thinking. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's a good question. One comment that you kind of bring something to mind, I mean, particularly around the, obviously it's controversial on the origins of uh, the SARS-CoV-2. The one comment about bats, <laughs> bats have a very unique immune system and coronaviruses happily live in bats and bats aren't sick you know they're happy to live there but obviously humans have a different immune system so it's coming into contact as I mentioned earlier on about these uh, encroachment on you know animal habitats but jumping from something like a bat where the virus is is happy to sit there the bat doesn't get sick but then you know when it jumps into humans you know we have a negative effect but we have learned a lot from the COVID-19 pandemic and I think that you know, I mentioned about the, the rapid development of the COVID-19 uh, vaccines. I think there's a link there as well between how quickly the world can turn, the world of pharmaceuticals can turn, vaccine development, drug development. And I think that links nicely into artificial intelligence. And, you know, running along in parallel were the rapid development of uh, computers, supercomputers, you know, processing speed, Moore's law, et cetera. And I think that uh, applying these and, you know, it's kind of quite interesting, that Silicon Valley, you know, where a lot of this activity, uh, you know, begins and happens. The origins of Apple and Eula Packard, for example, is right alongside, uh, you know, the Bay Area, so, you know, South San Francisco, for example, where biotech has uh, originated through Genentech and other companies. So now we're seeing emerging and melding of biology biotech companies (laughs) linking in with uh, technology companies and joining forces, uh, so to speak, to bring biology and chemistry into the world of uh, technology and computers. And I think this is where AI has hit a very interesting crossroads where it can apply that supercomputers to understanding biology. And obviously, when biology goes awry, you get your diseases and then understanding diseases at a basic level is a molecular level. And then, obviously, from there, coming up with new drugs and treatments to either promote or inhibit, you know, some of these biological processes. So I think that it's a fascinating, very interesting time right now for both uh, biotech and technology, and as I say, the intersection with AI. And uh, you know, when you look at companies like Google and Alphabet is a good example as well. They've just, uh, back in 2021, released the structure of 330,000 proteins which included the 20,000 in the human genome. And biologists love having protein structures because they understand what it looks like, what the shape is like, and then can design molecules to interfere with these protein structures, maybe prevent activation, for example. So having this kind of AI-driven understanding of what proteins uh, are shaped like, you can come up with drugs then to block, uh, say, activation. So it's been quite fascinating again to watch that, and it's rapid. I think the key thing here is that It decreases risk, you know, decreases cost, obviously, but increases probability. And it's all about speed. It's all about getting to your products or programs into the clinic. And one recent example is a company uh, in silica Medicine who went from a starting point to in a phase one clinic in 30 months. And normally that takes many, many years. And I think that uh, that was for an antifibrotic drug. But there's uh, you know, lots of activity in the space to exploit, as I say, these large data sets that are coming through. Biology and chemistry It's all data-driven, but it's a question of how do you handle all of this data? You know, how do you interrogate this data? How do you pull out, you know, let's say, the needle in a haystack from all this data of uh, you know, targets to go after or drugs to go after? So it's a fascinating time, and I think a lot of the pharma companies now are jumping on board, including, of course, Poolbeck.
0: The next question I had is with the challenges associated with AI and drug development, and how can they overcome? And you've just sort of started to touch on that there, but I guess you know there's other things as well, like this whole kind of black box thing. Yeah. How are we getting to this? Uh, these conclusions? How are we finding? What's the process? How are we showing our working? These things. So tell us a bit about that, please.
1: Yeah, you're, you're right about the challenge, and as with any new, you know, innovation, let's say, there's always that inherent skepticism where people who it's not that they don't want to believe but just you know scientists in particular they need to see proof they need to see data they don't want to see kind of ideas but they want to reduce them to practice and i think when that happens that'll clear the skepticism you know it's always been said that scientists once you demonstrate proof or evidence you know scientists are willing to change their opinions that's fine you know they may have their beliefs but they're willing to change those beliefs based on data but i mentioned you know as a you know, one company who kind of took an in silico approach to bringing products into the clinic. But what you'll see now is a lot of big farmers are jumping in in this space as well. And farmers, you know, they do get criticism that they move quite slowly, but I do think they're very deliberate in their decision making. But once they made the decision to jump in, they were all in. And I think, uh, you know, we talk about our own collaborators at Citer reason who are working on our... Uh, AI influenza program, but they have pre existing collaborations with the likes of Pfizer, Roche, and Sanofi. They're analyzing their data to come up with new drug targets, you know, understanding disease and then coming up with new drug targets. And indeed, Pfizer just towards the end of last year invested uh, 110 million in the collaboration with Silo Reason. So, you know, again, pharma don't write checks easily. They have to be Multiple layers of convincing through various committees to get uh, collaborations approved. And obviously, they believe in this, you know, of Reason approach as one example, but there are other companies looking at that. So, as I say, we, we have an excellent collaboration with Cite of Reason looking at influenza. But the more proof that comes out of that, I think the more acceptance there will be. And I think once people see that, as I mentioned, it'll save time, it'll save cost, it'll improve your, your risk, your ratio and then Pharma will be all in because they're all looking for new drugs, new targets, uh, you know, new medicines to help patients. And obviously that drives their bottom line to keep their investors happy. So it's an emerging space. But I think uh, you know, once you get that proof of concept, I think a lot of uh, companies will be jumping in and using this in the near and distant future. And
0: how has AI helped Poolbeg in particular identify new influenza drug targets?
1: Yeah. Again, you know, I mentioned our colleagues at Cytoreason, based in Israel. We established a collaboration with Cytoreason uh, uh, last year in 2022. That pool bag, we have access to a large data set that's uh, called Human Challenge Data. So this is where you get healthy volunteers you deliberately infect them with an influenza virus in a quarantine setting. These are normally young and healthy, you know, so they do get the symptoms where they get infected two days later, you know, they're not feeling well and then they recover and you go home all healthy. But what we have is a unique data set of biological samples, you know, blood samples, viral load, uh, you know, analysis, uh, RNA, let's say, gene expression analysis, protein analysis, at two time points a day uh, when they're in the quarantine unit. So we have this unique data set to understand how the disease is progressing, how the patient's immune system responds to the presence of a virus. And then we compare that to publicly available data for severe influenza patients. And we're trying to identify what are the drivers of disease? What is making these people sick? And as importantly, what is uh, helping them recover or recover quickly. So we were able to take this huge data set of six gigs of data per volunteer, bring it to site reason, and they build an algorithm, they build a, say a model to try and interpret and interrogate what's going on in the d- disease setting. And I think what's very important, again, from a biology from a disease standpoint, is that, you know, this is not just one or two or three volunteers, this is 130 volunteers. So you're looking at gene expression profiles across 130 people. So if you see a gene up in one person, you know, maybe it's not relevant or it's statistical, but if you see it up, a certain gene is upregulated in uh, in quite a lot of these volunteers that becomes statistically significant, then that's a gene that may be of interest, you know, as I say, maybe may be a disease driver It may help patients recover. So these are kind of t- new and novel targets to go after. So we just... Uh, announced at the end of June, we've come to a point where we've identified a number of targets that we believe are worth going after from an influenza standpoint. And uh, as I say, very excited with the collaboration. I say it's a unique approach. And uh, I will give an example. We have a a lead program I mentioned earlier on, POB001, that's in uh, severe influenza. We recently had clinical data on that, but that took over four years for our colleagues at HVivo, who we spun out of back in 2021 to identify an interesting target for severe influenza, which was P38 map kinase, and to test that. So that took about four years, whereas this collaboration with Cider Reason was essentially 15 months to come up with. uh, You could say the timeline is much greater contraction, you know, much quicker to get the data done. I think importantly for us, or excitingly for us, side reason, as an aside, also saw that P38 map kinase was a target of interest. So that gave us uh, additional confidence in the in the initial work done with the Vivo. But as I say, in a much shorter space of time, we've come up with uh, multiple targets now to go after. So this is where the power of AI came in. We had excellent data. To bring in, I mentioned that the child data, this is where you have a known infection time. The data is very clean. As I say, you've all the kind of deep clinical assessments, you know, looking at uh, biological parameters and digital parameters and very unique data set. So I think perfect for an AI scenario to interpret and interrogate and again, ultimately identify new drug targets. So very excited where we are uh, with that collaboration and, uh, and what's come out of that uh, collaboration in particular. And uh, just finally, actually,
0: I mean, I noticed you've got a couple of other things in your pipeline. You've got 0 one as a CAR-T companion therapy, mm-hmm. PULB-02 and O-3. So maybe just to finish off, you could just tell us a bit about where where things are with those, if that's okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, happy to do that. I mentioned policies here one the P38 map kinase, uh, we believe there's great potential for acute inflammatory conditions, including acute influenza. This is where the the virus triggers the immune system. The immune system spirals downhill and causes a lot of damage through cytokine storm. So we believe we can block that. We recently got clinical data in our own challenge study where we see the drug is taken orally. It gets all over the body. It gets into cells. It finds the target. It blocks activation of the target. And what we saw was a dramatic decrease in cytokine release from this LPS challenge, it was called. So very happy with this clinical data. So we do see applicability now from a clinical standpoint moving into other diseases such as severe influenza. And you're right, you mentioned uh, uh, cytokine release syndrome associated with CAR-T. This is a new innovative oncology treatment where the drugs work very well, but they have these unwanted, unwelcome side effects where uh, the patients develop, as I say, these cytokine storms which uh, can obviously create their own issues, you know, keeping the patients in hospital, for example. So we believe now that the drug can be applied to that particular condition. So with the clinical data we have in hand, we're moving in that direction. We see great potential. We started the company focused on infectious diseases, which is in its own still in focus after the pandemic. uh, Large markets to address but then branching out into other areas where are somewhat opportunistic, but where we see a significant unmet need. And yes, we have a, a you know a pipeline zero zero two, which is for respiratory viral infections. Zero zero three, is a bacterial vaccine. So we're building out that. And as I say, what the outputs now from uh, from the AI studies will be uh, quite interesting as well to add additional uh, programs to our pipeline. So we've made terrific progress in a short space of time, as you know, as the AI has promised. So uh, we're happy to be uh, let's say one of the uh, the leaders in the space and maybe demonstrating that the potential of AI for you know, certainly a drug target discovery and then ultimately drug discovery.